So we're talking about building the church. Each one of us, individually. And what happens in the church is a cool thing. We need each other. I took guitar lessons for a little while. Josh, you're not going to believe that. I took guitar lessons for a little while. I didn't learn much. I learned how to go, doom, 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 doom. And I thought, there's not a song I want to sing that sounds like that. So I figured out that's just not for me. But I talked to the guy teaching me one time. He said, he said yes, he's a Christian. I said, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church. I watch TV. I was like, okay. I said, I watch TV too. But what he meant was this. I don't go to church. I watch preaching on television. I don't have to get out of my pajamas if I don't want to on Sunday morning. I'll just watch something on TV. And there's some good preachers on television. There's also some bad preachers on television. But the thing you miss is the church. You miss the functioning of the body of Christ if all you do is become a spectator from a distance through a box or online or through a podcast. Those are all fine if it's good teaching. But there's more to the church than just what the preacher says on Sunday morning. You are the church. And there's a function for you at the church. And this applies to every one of you. Don't sit there and think, well, it can't be talking about me because I'm only 12. If you're a child of God, I'm talking to you. If you're 8, if you're 12, or if you're 100, it applies to all of us. Each one of us, individually, grace was given. God's unearned, undeserved favor. Receiving something you don't deserve. And we receive it according to the measure of Christ's gift. Literally a limited or specific portion. Hear this. Not everybody has all the spiritual gifts that are described in Scripture. But nobody has none if you're a child of God. You may have more than one, but you probably have a predominant one. But nobody can say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I really don't have a spiritual, I don't really have a function in the church. And you may not function in the few that he mentions here, but you've got a gift that God has given you individually. And guess what? If you don't function within that gift, the church suffers. The church needs you to function as Christ has enabled you and gifted you to function. So it's Christ's gift. Here's the, Christians are not assembly line products. We're not just putting hubs or, or bolts on a hub creating a car that can be interchanged. You're not swapping out car parts. You have been individually created to be who you are, and God has uniquely and individually gifted you with a spiritual gift. Now, what do you do with gifts you don't think you need? Some people re-gift. Anybody here be honest? Have you ever re-gifted? I see those hands. <laughs> you better take notes. Make sure you don't re-gift back to the same person who gave it to you. Or, or even don't re-gift at the same party where somebody said, oh, a label maker. <laughs> Say, I gave you one of those. Or some people just throw it away. Or some people store it thinking, well, maybe one day. So you, you may have a closet full of maybe one day stuff. Well, that's one thing if it was a Christmas present, a birthday present, or a wedding gift. But you can't do that with a spiritual gift, something that Christ has given you for the functioning of the church. You can't re-gift it. You can't say, you know what, I really don't feel called to this. I think I'm going to let you do that. No, you can't do that. You can't throw it away, and you can't put it in a closet somewhere. I guess you can. That's the problem in the church. It's people that do that. 
Therefore, it says, and then Paul quotes roughly Psalm 68, verse 18. He actually changes one word, but he talks about the fact that when Jesus stood on a hillside, he told his disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, the promise was fulfilled. Jesus had told him before, I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit who's going to live in you and live through you. And so that's what's happened. And, and the description of Psalm 68 is this victory parade. It, it's the indication of a king that would come back into the city and in front of him would be all his conquered foes and the spoils of war. But not only would he have the captives of his enemies, he would have also had the freed captives of his own men who had fought valiantly and been captured. So that's the picture that David had in the Psalms. That's what Paul is talking about. Jesus Christ conquered death at the cross. He rose from the dead. He has ascended now back to heaven. And he's taken with him captive. He's taken captivity captive, literally. And he's given us gifts to function within the church so that he might fulfill all things. Spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12. In case you just want to make a little note. Romans 12 speaks about other spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 speaks specifically about a list of gifts. And we're only going to hit the ones that Paul mentions in Ephesians. Now, isn't it interesting? He also wrote Romans and he also wrote 1 Corinthians. Romans 12 First part of verse 6 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. We're to be stewards of the gift that God's given us, not spectators of everybody else operating within their gift. So that's the grace of God, then the gifts of God. And I want you to see the, the few that he mentions, what they do, and the goal of operating within those gifts. So let me read verses 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now I want you to catch this. First, he said he gave some as prophets. Did he give all his prophets? No, some. He's picked some that he's given them the gift to be, excuse me, first of all, apostles. In a strict sense of the word, these were the men in the New Testament who had seen Jesus resurrected from the dead. Paul called himself kind of the last of that nature. But in a general sense, it simply meant one who had been sent. So when you read about apostleship or apostles, there's some authors, some commentaries that will say it ended in the New Testament. In a strict sense, it did, but not in the general sense of one who's been sent. Some as prophets. We only think of prophets of like Jeremiah and others who were foretellers of the Word of God. They were inspired by God to speak prophecy about what was about to happen. The word can also mean foreteller. In other words, unpacking the Word of truth that God has revealed and sharing it with the people of God. Some as evangelists. That word's only used three times in the New Testament. It was used, first of all, to describe Philip. Then it was used when Paul was writing Timothy. Paul said, do the work of the evangelist. 
and now it's used here. So it's only used three times. But it is a spiritual gift. It is a unique gifting. Now, does that mean the rest of us, if you don't have that gift, don't have to be evangelists? No. We're all commanded to share the good news, and that's really what evangelists, the word evangelist comes from the root of the word good news. So it's a proclaimer of good news. Some are uniquely gifted in that. But all of us have the pleasure of telling other people the good news of Jesus Christ, how they can know him personally, what he's done in our lives, how he saved us. So he's given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and then some as pastors and teachers. And he doesn't say some as pastors, some as teachers. I think he's combining the office into one, pastors, teachers, literally shepherd instructors. The first purpose of the pastor-teacher is to feed himself and then to feed others and then to teach others how to feed themselves. And so it's important when Paul would establish a church, one thing he would leave behind in the church was a pastor-teacher or an elder who was able to teach. So those are the, the gifts that he talks about here. There's others in Romans. There's others in 1 Corinthians. You can make a case there's others elsewhere in Scripture that are unique spiritually or spiritual grace gifts that the Holy Spirit has brought to you personally. And I'm going to talk about how you find out what those are here in a few minutes. But here's what they do. Here's why God has done this. First, for the equipping of saints. Now get that. The spiritual giftedness is never to draw attention to the person who has the spiritual gift. It's first of all to equip the saints. The word equip means to completely furnish, to restore to the proper condition. It was a medical term for setting bones, to equip the saints. Well, who are the saints? Well, if you're a child of God, you are. You're a saint. That's how we're described in Scripture, both on earth and even in heaven. It talks about the saints around the throne. We're not, and don't become angels. We're saints. From the time you trust Christ for all eternity, that's what you are. And the work of the gifts in the church are, first of all, to equip the saints for what? For the work of service. Saints are equipped so that they can serve each other effectively. And the point is to the building up of the body. So the third thing, to equip the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ. Not talking specifically about numerical growth. He's talking more about depth growth. Trust me, if you take care of depth at your church, God will take care of the increase. If he knows you're a church who's growing spiritually deep, he'll bring people. And you'll also be telling people about it out in the world because God's made an impact in your life. Until we all attain. So he's given some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Here's what they do. They equip the saints for the work of the service, for the building of the body. But here's the goal, okay? There's a purpose in all this. The goal is, first of all, the unity of the faith. Paul's already talked in earlier in this chapter about unity. He talked about it in chapter 2 or 3. Paul wanted to see churches united. Here's the problem. The unity of the faith. God's truth is not fragmented and divided against itself. So when his people are fragmented and divided, it's because they're not walking in the truth. So Paul calls them to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son. Not just that they would know about God and about Jesus, 
but that they would have a heart knowledge. In fact, he uses an extension to the word knowledge to add emphasis, epignosis, which means heart knowledge, a fuller knowledge. In fact, Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, if you want to jot that down, I think it'll be on the screen. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You see what Paul's saying in Philippians? Same author. In Philippians, he's saying, I take stock of everything I have, everything I used to be, everything that was accounted unto me, and I consider it trash when I compare it to just knowing God. So the purpose of the gifts that he has given to the church are to to provide unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and to bring you to maturity, to a mature man, completeness, Here's the problem. Children are gullible and easily deceived. And if you're not growing spiritually, you're going to be a spiritual infant that's gullible and easy to deceive. I talked to you a little bit about, about a little while ago about the fact there's some good preachers on television. There's some others that are deceiving people. There's some that quote scripture that doesn't even exist. Sometimes it'd be good to stop every now and then when you listen to these people and think, Wait, all right, where is that in the Bible? Guess what? It's not in there. And the scary thing is when churches are led by those kinds of people. God doesn't want you to stay a spiritual infant. He wants you to grow up in the faith. He wants you to mature. I just made a list this week. Here are some things I hear immature Christians say. I'm not trying to step on any toes. I'm actually trying to hit your heart here. But here's some that I've heard in the church. One, all religions are the same. Now, I've heard it in different ways. Some some. One time somebody said, well, we're, you know, we're all going to get to heaven. We're just dancing to the beat of a different drum. Really? Is that what Scripture says? No. If you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. There, there's some of you that think, and may, maybe nobody in this place, but there's some in the world who think, you know what, when I get to heaven, it's going to kind of be, I did more good stuff than I did bad stuff. It's going to be kind of a scale. God's going to say, well... You messed up here, but you did good there. So we're, we're grading on the curve. You've you got to see. Come on into heaven. And, and I think there's some, if God was to say, why should I let you in? You're going to kind of look around and say, well, you let her in. I know her. She probably shouldn't have got in, but if she's in, I know I'm in. Is that, is that how it's judged? No, it's going to be about, what about Jesus. Did you ever trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has he forgiven you of your sin? Because trust me, you don't want to get to a scale in heaven where they start putting your sins on one side without the blood of Jesus on the other side. I've heard some say Jesus is a way to heaven. One person actually said, well, he's the way for me to heaven, indicating there's other ways. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does that leave room for anybody else? And you say, well, preacher, that sounds very narrow-minded. It is. But I didn't say it. I'm just quoting it. So you either got to buy all of it or none of it. Two of my favorites that I've mentioned here before, I've heard people say this. God helps those that help themselves. 
heard that in an Applebee's restaurant in San Diego, California. I, I did it one of my mama. My mother used to make us be quiet so she could hear what people were saying at the other table. <laughs> this guy had his two teenagers, and they were talking about church. They were talking about the youth group. And apparently the kids weren't behaving like he wanted them to, so he finally pushed back in the chair and said, well, my Bible, as soon as you hear somebody say, my Bible says, you be careful, because maybe they wrote it in there. Maybe it is in their Bible, but it's in new ink. He pushed back and said, well, my Bible says God helps those that help themselves. I heard that my whole life growing up. It's nowhere, by the way, it's nowhere in Scripture. In fact, it contradicts what is in Scripture. God helps the helpless. Not those who help them. Listen, if you could help yourself, you don't need God. Another one that's more recent, God will never put on you more than you can handle. I, I hear that all the time. And some of you have heard that and think, well, what's wrong with that? He'll never put on you more than you can handle. Really? So in other words, you don't need God. God allows stuff in your life all the time you can't handle. Why? So that we will turn to him. Now, there is a scripture in 1 Corinthians that said he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with every temptation will provide a way of escape. But folks, I ain't talking about temptation. I'm just talking about life. So Paul says the reason God has given these spiritual gifts to men and women is that they will function within the body of Christ. And I'm not talking just about the five or four that he's mentioned. I'm talking about all the spiritual gifts. It's so that they will function in such a way that the body is built up there's unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son to a mature man, and to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the bottom line, so that you will be like Jesus. God's great desire for the church is that every member be like his Son. And the day you trusted Christ, he began a work in you, and that's to make you more like Jesus. So those are the gifts of God, the result. Verses 14 and following, we'll finish. As a result, pretty obvious then, if you do these things, this happens. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. A lot of words there. What's he saying? As a result, first of all, we're no longer children. The word that he uses for children now is not just a child, not just the product of a mom and dad. It literally means one who's not speaking. It means an infant who hasn't learned to talk yet. If you hadn't learned to talk, you probably hadn't learned to walk either. You know what? That's really cool to have a baby. Some of you have recently been able to hold a newborn baby in your arms. That newborn baby is dependent on you for everything. That baby is dependent on you to change its diapers, to make sure it's got something to eat, to make sure it's got something to drink. But you don't want to do that the rest of your life. You don't want your 20-year-old daughter or 20-year-old son, you're, you're like carrying them around. I mean, physically, I couldn't do that. And you sure don't want to be eating out of a bottle the rest of your life or eating, you know, whatever they that stuff they mush up and call cereal. Captain Crunch would roll over in his grave. I'm so glad I'm not eating that stuff anymore, and yet that's where a lot of people are spiritually. 
If we walked into the nursery, there's kids in there four years old and younger, and they're playing with light trucks and kitchen gadgets, and they may even fight over some of that stuff. But if we peel back the church at times, we're behaving the same way. We're still spiritual children. We're still spiritual infants. You may have been a Christian for 20 years. Grow up. God never intended for you to stay in diapers your entire spiritual life. Grow up. We're no longer children. And I already said this, but folks, I'm seeing churches that are led by children. I'm not just talking about the pastor necessarily, but elders and deacons who aren't growing spiritually. They're carnal. They're immature. And the description of them is they're tossed here and there by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see what he's saying? If you're a child, it's easy for you to be tricked and deceived. And guess what? There are people out there trying to trick you and deceive you. And some of them are doing it for your money. There's some people sending checks in or, or automatic drafts every month to help fund ministries that are tossing people here and there by every wave of doctrine. So how are you going to know the difference? Well, you've got to know the truth. You've got to stand on the truth even when it's unpopular. Tossed here and there by the waves. Paul had experienced that. Paul is sharing a contemporary illustration for him because he was almost in a shipwreck. He literally was shipwrecked, floating at the whim of the ocean. Well, if you're rudderless, if your boat don't have a rudder, it's at the mercy of whichever way the waves are going and whatever the wind's doing. So as we grow up, our rudder gets deep. And we're on the right course. By the trickery of men, literally, the word trickery is literally the word for a dice. And Paul is seeing guards, I'm sure, using loaded dice to victimize innocent people in gambling to take their money. And that's what he's talking about. And let me just say, there will be people that use the Bible or claim to, and there will be people who use what sounds like clever or humanly sounding good reasoning but if it isn't the Word of God, don't buy it. Be careful. We live in a generation where there are people, men and women, who are on television, on radio, that are raising millions of dollars. But their message doesn't square with the Word of God. Be careful. We need to grow up from that. But speak the truth in love. And let me just say this. If what you're speaking is not truth, it's not love. But speak the truth in love so that we grow up into all aspects into him. Who is him? Jesus. Who's the head of the church from whom the whole body is being fit together. When Jesus had the conversation with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi and he asked, Who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He finally said, who do you say that I am? You've got to give credit. Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because most of the time Peter spoke and it wasn't good. He was normally putting both feet in his mouth. But he got it right. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And upon this rock, this faith that you've just demonstrated, I will build my church. And folks, that's what Jesus has been about. That's been the mission. He is building his church, the body of Christ, you, 
and all around the world is believers. And he's coming back one day for us. In the meantime, what are we to be doing? Well, one thing we're to do is to operate within our spiritual gifts. And it's likely that you say, well, I don't think I have the gift of pastor teacher. Probably not. But look at the other gifts. Gifts of service, gifts of mercy, gifts of administration. Look at Romans and 1 Corinthians. And just four simple thoughts of how you figure out what your gift is. So if you're sitting here today, and some of you know, some of you just know, man, I've studied this, I've been affirmed in it, this is what I believe my primary spiritual gift is. My question is, are you working in that? Are you utilizing that? But some of you are going, this is the first time I've ever heard this. I've heard it before, I just don't, I didn't know it applied to me. It applies to you if you're a child of God. So the first one is ask God to show you. Four quick things, we're done. First, ask God to show you. You can do that before we leave here today. Just say, God, would you, would you let me know what, what is it you've uniquely gifted me in? There are also some tests out there. There are some tools. Be careful. They're tests. They're tools. They can be helpful. But don't just go online and take a, a gift survey and say, oh, that's, that's it. Have you prayed and asked God to show you? Take one of the surveys or the tests. Then ask somebody. Ask people that know you. Here's kind of what I think God's showing me my spiritual gift is. Do you see that in my life? It's amazing that people can say, yeah, I see that in you, that you, you may have this gift. I see you operating in that gift. So ask God to show you. If, if you can, take one of the surveys that kind of enumerates all the gifts. You answer a bunch of questions, and it kind of gives you a profile. Ask other people, and then last, start operating in it. You may sense pretty quickly, man, this, I know I'm in my sweet spot here. I know God is all over this. Or maybe you step back and think, I think God's telling me that's not the way I'm supposed to go. So you back up to number one, you pray about it. And you ask people, help me discover what's my spiritual gift. Bottom line is to the building up of the body. It's how the church will become united as each one of us are operating and maturing in the faith. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in the church. Your word tells us that you're building the church, and we're part of that as a child of God. And, Lord, I'm looking across a room of people who are believers if they've come to faith in Christ. And, Lord, they have a gift, unique individual gift, not a natural endowment, but this is something special the Holy Spirit has brought into their life. It's from you, and it's good. Help us to know what that is individually for each one of us. And then, God, help us to operate, to function in that, because the church needs not just a bunch of teachers, but we need all the gifts being exercised and utilized. So, Lord, make that plain. And God, there's a lot of churches represented in this building this morning. As we return to the churches where we worship other Sundays, Help us to mature in the faith. Help us to be a part of what unites the church and not what a part of what divides it. Help us to be faithful to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing a closing?